Christians are especially are so enmeshed in this us versus them thing that they don't see that each other has something to offer. An immigrant, whatever status they are, is a human being that God loves yes. just as much as he loves you. Yes. Compassion and being a good neighbor were more important than any religious or ethnic differences when it came to giving aid to someone in need. Welcome to Living Beyond Your Memes, where we try to help Christians get beyond talking points and pat answers and engage the world around us the way Jesus did. I'm your host, Brian LaCroix, and I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Latterell. In this episode, we continue our discussion about Wizard of Oz Christianity. Today is part three, Having No Heart. Things going well for you, Josh, since the last time we met? Yeah, so all the way back... uh since the last time we recorded this episode, which yeah. is earlier today. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things are going well. How about you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Very well. Thank you very much. It's been a good hour and a half, I think, since <laughs> we're recording. Yeah, this two- really great conversation with my friend Brian. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. 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 Very yeah. edifying. It was indeed. I thought so. I mm-hmm. felt, I felt, uh, hopefully the Lord was honored by that. Good. We're actually recording two episodes tonight. This is the second one. So inside baseball for you listeners there. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but for you, it'll be spaced out nicely. Exactly. Unless you're binging them, in which case right. you'll be listening to them right in a row. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, yes, indeed. Good point. But uh, between medical emergencies on Josh's side and my needing to be gone, when we'd be recording this episode, we are doubling up here. And thankfully, Josh and I are both relatively young and we can do this without falling asleep at our microphones. I think. Oh, sorry. I just <laughs> fell asleep for a second. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Good deal. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited to get into this. So tell yeah. us what we're We're just going to kind of move right in here because uh, we, we have some some territory to cover here. We've been talking about Wizard of Oz Christianity. And uh, just as a background here, we're doing a four-part series about, you know, having, you know, no home. And we're looking at the uh, the three main characters of the Wizard of Oz and their deficiencies and what they needed and how that has shown itself in American, primarily American Christianity. And so we want to look at these not to just castigate and to to just throw blame around, but to look at ways we can get past these things. And because we're looking at ways that evangelicals are stereotyped, and we need to show the world that we are not this way. And so these episodes are meant to encourage us to be people who do not display the things that we're accused of displaying. Does that make sense, Josh? I think so. I'm okay. curious to know where you're going to go with this. Okay, so. well, let's, let's yeah. talk about this one. So we're going to talk about having no heart, which was, of course, the problem of the Tin Man. And the idea I'm trying to hit on here is, is the dismissing of the hurting and of social concerns because we think that getting involved with those things is just enabling laziness or selling out to a social gospel or or becoming social justice warriors or even worse, becoming woke. And so Christians, at times, we are so afraid of getting involved in those things, we come across as uncaring. So we, a lot of times, we'll shy away from involvement with compassion and other things because we don't want to be seen politically as being a social justice warrior or being woke or things like that. I mentioned this statistic last episode, and this is kind of where it's going to start, that 90% of black evangelicals vote Democrat because they see the Democrat Party as being more concerned with issues of racial equality, poverty, justice, and all these things. 
and they feel that the teachings and life of Jesus more accurately reflect those priorities. Sure. Republicans, and by extension, white evangelical Christians, are often seen as not caring about those things. We're seen as being almost exclusively pro-big business, anti-union, anti-abortion, and anti-LGBTQ. They feel that the teachings and life of Jesus are more directed at cultural influence and, and purity and trying to stay away from things. But I believe that Scripture has much to say about both, and that while we white evangelicals need to do a much better job at showing love and compassion, we can do that without having to give up any of our convictions about culture and politics in order to do so. I just think that we are seen as not being good at that and not being good at loving. We're, we're more concerned about abortion than we are about the homeless, is, is the way we're portrayed. And I think that that is not a scriptural view of what a follower of Jesus should have. You know, um, I think Jesus cares about both. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so, uh, I'm not sure which verse I'm quoting, but doesn't James make the point that, uh, you know, true and undefiled religion is uh -huh. visiting the poor, the widow, the uh -huh. orphan? Yes, yes, exactly right. Jesus does talk a lot about the outsider, the someone uh -huh. who's an outcast or maybe an immigrant yep. or of a, an undesirable uh, social or, you know, uh -huh. uh, ethnic yeah. And Jesus sought that class. out. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And, and uh, uh, yep. that that was a, a big deal for him and mm -hmm. something that Christians, especially in the early church, were known for caring about those kinds of people that right. your typical Roman society and even Jewish society would shun. Exactly right. So Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, I won't go into all the details here, but uh, one of the people that we've just, uh, we discussed on our last podcast, we were discussing a podcast that we both listened to called Unbelievable. Uh, one of their re more recent guests was just talking about how Christianity so influenced Western culture that we have hospitals because of Christians. Christians rescued children who were being exposed to the elements when the parents, it was just a thing that Roman society did. Oh, I didn't want this baby. Just put it out in the wolves, uh, for, in the woods for the wolves to eat or to die of cold or whatever it was. And to them, that was just normal. And Christians came along and said, no, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll take the baby, Yeah, you know, or in, in other parts that they uplifted women, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, slavery is gone because of, well, not gone, unfortunately, uh, but legal slavery is no longer a part of Western culture uh, because of the influence of Christians. So, but anyway, that's not where I was going with all this, but scripture has to say a lot about both the social kinds of things that Democrats would focus on and about other things like being a good steward of your money and not being lazy and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, standing up for truth and, right. you know, protecting family and that sort of yes. thing that, that Republicans or conservatives are more known for. Yes. Right. And I think that part of the problem is that we see we are Christians are especially are so enmeshed in this us versus them thing that they don't see that each other has something to offer. You know? Well, American Christians are Americans. Yes. And America is very enmeshed in this. <laughs> and so <laughs> yes. I would just to, you know, I don't know, push back on that a little bit. It is yeah. very difficult to mm -hmm. go against the sort of the cultural mm -hmm. um, pressure to fight and pick a side right. and, yep. you know, pick a set of, you know, social or moral values mm -hmm. that 
are represented by one party or the other. Right. And then mm-hmm. just, you know, go at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, it takes some courage and it takes some effort and some thought, uh, like we were talking about last episode, to to really step back and try to figure out what 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 an actual Christian approach to this situation mm-hmm. or topic or issue is. Right. When you even do have those thoughts or try to do that, thinking, also understanding the fact that you have your own filters and your own lenses and your own biases, whether recognized or not or known or not, when we understand that we have our own filters, that helps us, I think, understand yeah. that. You've been influenced coming. just as much as everybody else right. by culture, whether you know it or not. Right. And whether you want to admit it or not, you know, because everybody wants to be thought of as a free thinker and we're not as much as we'd like to think we are. Sure. We, we should be. But we're not. That's why you need to grow a brain, people. So if you don't know what that means, listen to the last episode. Okay? Anyway. So you can have both. You can be a person who cares about poverty and civil rights and, and you know, homelessness and be pro-life and care about protecting families from, from ungodly influences. You can care for all of that. You don't have to give up any of your convictions there. But for the sake of our discussion tonight and for the sake of time, I want to focus primarily on the poverty part of it here, because I believe that God can use growing involvement in that to develop a greater heart for other things that we should have a heart for. And I think even that sliver alone can help us demonstrate that we are people who love Jesus and have compassion for people that we're around. And before I give some ideas on how to do that, let me address a mindset that I believe makes it hard for some Christians, including myself at times to tangibly get involved in poverty things and helping people get out of poverty. It's 2 Thessalonians 3.10. This is how King Jimmy says it. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. I like the way the NIV puts it. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And that's a much in my mind, much more accurate translation of what's supposed to be going on there. And there's a huge difference between being unwilling and being unable to work. And I think if people just looked at the uh, at the first version there, the King James Version, and they don't take that into mind, they may be less likely to cut somebody some slack for not being able to work. So let's look at some ways that some people are unable to work. Some people are unable to work for medical issues. You know, maybe they're they're getting uh, arthritis and so they can't use their arms and, you know, their fingers and stuff very much. Or they've gotten cancer or they've gotten some debilitating disease or they were injured in a car accident or there's an injury so they can no longer perform. They can no longer work. And even as much as they would like to, they cannot. So they are unable to work. Economic issues. Maybe the plant that you worked at just shut down. And uh, the only way you're going to get to keep working for those guys is to move to Kentucky. Or the industry is changing. Does anybody make carburetors anymore? I mean, people for decades made their living making carburetors. Well, then all of a sudden fuel injectors came and there's no more carburetors except aftermarket stuff now. Think of all sorts of industries in the past that have been disrupted by technology or social change, you know. and Polaroid cameras. Who's dedicated their entire life to being really, really good at this one thing Mm -hmm. suddenly finds that what they know how to do really, really well is unnecessary or can be done by a machine or it can be done by, you know, AI, for instance, Mm -hmm. in our day and age. So um, it's still happening. That is important to, and that's not 
you know, for lack of being willing to work. It, right. it may just be that, you know, your skills mm-hmm. suddenly don't match right. what's needed. Right. And that's a really tough place to be in mm-hmm. for anybody. Absolutely it is. You could be made unable to work by some hard life choices. Years ago, I watched a TV movie. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a single mom and struggling to make a living. So she worked at a, like some, some sewing factory or whatever it was. Her kid got sick and she needed to make an appointment to the doctor. And the coworker said, no, no, you can't. Because if you skip a day from work, then you're fired. And she, there was no way she's going to be able to get and if you ask for time off, they just fired you. You know, it was just a slave labor thing kind of a thing. I mean, it was here in America, but it was just a sweatshop kind of a thing. Well, she skipped work to take her kid to the doctor, ends up getting fired, and she's homeless. You know, and it's because she took care of her kid. And she was unable to find, she tried to find more work, wasn't able to find work. And that was a fictional movie, but it illustrates things that happen in real life. She had to make a choice, and it cost her her job. It's sick and it should never happen, but mm-hmm. it does. People struggle with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might Absolutely. be suffering the choice, the 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 consequences of somebody else's choice. Yes, you know they might have grown up an abusive home, for instance, mm-hmm. and maybe they were never taught marketable skills. I mean, I right. um, good point. Think I think I've talked to you about this before, but in my past involvement with the Journey Home, which addresses homelessness and helps people sort of get a hand up and mm-hmm. learn some of these skills and learn how to take care of themselves. It's just amazing how many things that I take for granted that I assume everybody learns it as, as a kid. Right. That their parents didn't teach them. Right. They just never got those social skills or mm-hmm. those soft skills or or what have you mm-hmm. that you just, you get from your parents. And if your parents were, you know, on drugs or, you know, in and out of prison or something like that, um, it's very yeah. likely that you're going to go in that direction too, because they didn't ever pass any good values on to you mm-hmm. and you've got to learn them on your own. Right. And if you don't, you know, it's really hard you're to. You're in for a rough road. Yeah. It's really hard to get anywhere in life. Yep. yep. And that, that's a, that's a real thing. Absolutely. It is. And a lot of people find themselves in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, age, nobody would know this from looking at my pictures, but I'm almost 60 years old. No. And I've started looking about when is it going to be most beneficial for me to start taking social security? <laughs> social security says I should wait till 70. So I'm hoping, you know. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Cause then there'll be the highest monthly benefit, you know, cause I'm waiting that long. And, uh, but you know, there's just, you know, the, let's just face it. There is some ageism going on sometimes. And I get that. I mean, if somebody wanted a really good looking person to be, to be their public face for something, they're not going to call me, you know, I mean, probably not, you know, but, uh, you know, because I don't have a very youthful face. I have a gray beard. Oh, but it's I'm a pretty bald. epic beard though. Thank you. And, Thank you. you know, beards are in sometimes they if are. you want, you know, the most interesting man in the world. That's true. That's sell true. your product. You want somebody with a really nice. And as I get beard. more muscles, I, I want it to look really cool. There you uh, go. So yeah, yeah, but, but, um, just got to find the right fit. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, and sometimes as we get older, we just can't keep up with things. I mean, if you're working on a assembly line and you can't keep up, then that hurts the productivity for everybody and it might injure you physically. So, uh, but, and, or just sometimes infirmities come with age, you know, maybe that arthritis is starting to kick in. Sure. I'm noticing maybe, maybe your eyesight is going and you're, right. maybe your, your hearing is not 
the way it used to be. And that's mm-hmm. critical to your job that you, right. you do. And yeah. 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 So lots of things that can make us unable to work and make someone unable. And they're not all visible. You know, we talked about the mental illness issues. I mean, that's not something that, you know, you see somebody pull up with a, uh, a handicap sticker in their window and they park in a handicapped spot and they get out and trot into Walmart and you think they're not handicapped. You're like, um, just cause you can't see it doesn't mean something's not going on. The flip side of that is that there are a number of people that really take advantage of that too mm-hmm. and claim all sorts of handicaps and disabilities that they may or may not have or mm-hmm. say that I, I can't go to work and I have to take my dog on the airplane because right. I have a disability and it's my, you know, my, mm-hmm. my comfort animal or whatever it is. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. And so there is sort of a culture of playing the victim and, and mm-hmm. sort of diagnosing yourself with all these sorts of infirmities oh, yeah. that prevent you from working and then convincing the world that you, you know, oh, deserve yeah. some sort of handout as a result right. rather than growing as a person and mm-hmm. overcoming you know, right, something. Right. And yep. so yep. that does tend to sort of, I guess, make, just be honest, make me right. suspicious at right. least mm-hmm. of someone who claims some sort of. Right. Oh, I'm totally know, with that. Invisible disability that they may or may not have. But so. Well, if somebody comes into Walmart with their service emu, I'm going to wonder, <laughs> you know what I mean? I would actually props for them. Yeah, somebody that'd be can awesome if they could figure out how to do a service email in a Walmart. <laughs> yep. That would be they, cool. They just go, you know, you got it. I'm not going to say a thing as I yep. mad respect for that. <laughs> however you work that out. But it might be somebody, for instance, uh, let's just use the Walmart example for saying they park in the handicap spot, they get in and they run into Walmart. They don't look physically, you know, but it could be that they suffer from anxiety, something that they've got to be in and out or they're, their physical thing is to the point where they can only walk so far before they start to collapse or, you know, they're too weak. Sure. And so they're parking close because they need that physically or whatever. But my, my point there is that some people cannot work and it's not because of something that we could see. That's my whole point on that. Sure. And And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's another issue sort of knowing where to, you know, you don't, we, we don't want to be fooled. We don't want people to fool us, but as Christians, we, are supposed to err on the side of compassion. Absolutely. And um, not just assume everybody's trying to fool us or assume mm-hmm. the worst about people. Right. You know, and be willing to be taken advantage of once in a while. Right. Um, uh, and not just assume that that's, mm-hmm. you know, fake, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. I struggle with that myself. Yeah. You know, I really It's do. a tough one. So, but I'd I'm rather, just, but like you, and I think this is where the Lord's been pushing my heart lately. I th- I've even said it on this podcast, the Lord, I believe, is leading me to err on the side of being taken advantage of. I forwarded a post uh, on Facebook not too long ago where somebody basically said, you know, if in the act of helping people, I accidentally help somebody who's faking it, what have I lost? You know, yeah. uh, how is that better than not helping somebody who really does have a need? Absolutely. And there have been situations where I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I assumed something about somebody faking it or trying mm. to get sympathy and, yep. and they weren't. Yep. And, you know, that's, that's humbling. a, that is humbling and convicting and yep. you, you know, feel like a horrible person because mm-hmm. that, right. Right. you don't, you don't want to be that person. Right. And certainly don't want to be that person as somebody who claims to follow Jesus. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, 
the point is here that because somebody isn't working doesn't mean that they are unwilling to work. Now, some are for sure. There's just no question. And when I was pastoring, I worked three jobs and I was what we call a bivocational pastor. Actually, I was tri-vocational. So I, I was putting in full-time hours at the church. Um, sometimes those were late night hours and early morning hours. And then I would go do a quote, regular job the rest of the day. And then sometimes I had to have something else on the extra just to help pay bills. I just, I had to, I had a good sized family and the church salary wasn't big enough to cover what we needed to provide that. So I knew that going in. And so every now and again, somebody would come into the church office looking for money. And it didn't help that Aberdeen, the, the name of the church back then was Aberdeen Wesleyan Church. And there were people who would just literally will open a phone book and just start down the A's and find the churches. And just start and calling to, them all. Yep. They go to every church, right? It's yep. And for some, that's how they make their living, you know? And uh, <laughs> and some churches are pretty keen about that. So, yeah, I remember you were here last week. You know, I'll see you later. And that sounds uncaring, but they also know that they're getting scammed. So one time a guy came in. And uh, this was shortly after I began pastoring. And even further back, the day I was, quote, ex- accepted as the, no, I'm sorry, the day I candidated, the day I preached the sermon, that was my, quote, candidating message, candidating sermon. This guy came in looking for money and, and didn't have a pastor. It was just the the board members and me. And he said, yeah, this guy's coming in. He's looking for money. I said, well, what do you guys normally do? He says, well, we just come in and, you know, we talk to him and see if we can help him, you know, and like, okay, so let's bring him into the office. So we talked with him for a while and yeah, lost my job. We got bad back and, you know, I just need gas, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, well, I tell you what, I don't know what the church's policy is, but here's 20 bucks out of my pocket. Go just do what you need to do, you know? And so he did. Well, then the, the day I was installed as the pastor, um, <laughs> <laughs> this guy comes back and uh, one of the board members comes to me and says, yeah, this, this guy's back, you know, and, uh, and he told us back in that day that he worked at this certain place. And so I went to check on him, see how he's doing. He doesn't work there. I'm like, okay, bring him in the office. And all of my compassion was gone. <laughs> it was, I said, look, man, we gave you some money to help. And you lied to us, you know, uh, you know, well, I can't get a job. My back's hurt. And I said, I said, you can get a job. In fact, I think he came back again a couple of weeks later. And I said, look, here's what we'll do. Why don't we get in my car and we'll go down 6th Avenue and we'll have you a job by this afternoon. Well, no, no, I, I don't want to flip burgers. I'm like, who are you to say what you can and can't do? One, one, I said, and I looked at him in the eye. And again, I was still at this time, time had gone by, I guess. And I was working these three jobs. And I said, look, buddy. I work three jobs. And I said, and you have no time for pride. And I said, you've got a family to feed. You need to get money coming into your house. And if you can't get the job you want, you got to take the job you can get. And, uh, well, on my back, I said, there are jobs out there that don't need your back. Well, I got to pick up kids after school. You can get jobs that are flexible schedule that'll let you go get your kids. You're just refusing to go get work. And we're done subsidizing that. I said, so after you get a job, I said, I will even take you to interviews. I will drive you to interviews. I will take you to work if you don't have a car until you get to where you can afford transportation. I will do those things for you. But don't expect us, don't expect the church to pay for your 
laziness. Uh, needless to say, he never came back. You know, and it wasn't like he was a member of the church. This is just a guy who came in off the street, you know, looking for money. So when people would come in looking for money, I always asked them, what are you doing for work? And it was like, well, I can't find a job in this town. I'm like, boy, you just said that to the wrong person. <laughs> I've got three jobs. <laughs> There's jobs in this town. I could have 10 if I wanted. Yeah. So my pity for people who were unwilling to work was next to zero. And at times it got, you know, I probably could have handled things a little bit better, but I just kind of got what I would have thought back then as being righteously indignant, you know, with people. Um, but there are some people who just refuse to work and they'll use any excuse they can to not work. And I'm a naturally lazy guy. I would love to just sit and watch movies all day and eat pizza. If I could do that for a living, and get paid. Heck yeah. You know, but anyway, but that's not always the case. And who are we to assume that it is that case for that person unless we have evidence to suggest otherwise? And this is what, what you were talking about where you thought you knew what was going on in this person's life and you didn't. And I'm the same way. And we have to, I think, if we're going to assume anything, assume it's the exact opposite. We need to assume that they're telling us the truth. I was a cop for a little while. Some people know. We're basically told to just believe that they're lying to us. You know, when we're talking with the suspect, it's a lie unless we find out otherwise. And unfortunately, that's true, you know, in many, many, many cases with, that the police have to deal with. Well, especially if you're a police officer, you're typically showing up in uh, sketchy situations. Yes. Like that, that's kind yes. of your job. Right. So you're, <laughs> you're more likely to encounter people who are lying to you. Right, right. So yeah. I do understand that. <laughs> yes. It's not like the, the local nun's food charity drive and you're saying, hey. Are you sure. really raising money for poor people here? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I know you nuns lie all the time. So how do we get involved with things like poverty uh, to, to alleviate poverty or, or at least help in our area, uh, especially if we haven't before? So I'm going to suggest, first of all, you just start small. Just start small. And, I, and so I've got some suggestions that people can do to make a difference in the lives of people in tangible ways regarding like hunger and homelessness and that kind of thing. The first one is to give money and or time to a local organization, such as the Salvation Army or Journey Home or homeless shelters, crisis pregnancy centers, and so on. And do it without telling Facebook and Instagram. Just do it. And I stress money and time because it's easy to just throw your cast off clothing and electronics into the Dropbox on your way to work. But you actually have to evaluate your, your involvement when it costs you more than your throwaways. Yeah. And the other benefit of working with an established organization is that they usually have a much better, I don't know, way of figuring out who actually needs help yes. and who doesn't right. than you do. Right. They're professionals. They do this for a living. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. they see a lot of the same people. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, they communicate with each other. So just right. as an oh, example, yeah. in our community in Aberdeen, we have a network that many of the organizations are on. And so they can see if someone is hopping from one organization to another, just trying to sort of squeeze mm -hmm. what they can out of them. Mm -hmm. uh, or if they are somebody new or if they've already, you know, gotten some services mm -hmm. uh, and if they're abuser of the system or if they're somebody who really needs help. And so they can kind of communicate and right. stay in touch. Uh, and I think some churches may use that as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, that way of handling things is yes. usually better for the people who actually need help. Mm -hmm. 
and it kind of protects you a little bit from sort of getting scammed or taken advantage yes. of. Yes. Um, so if you're giving And that's money, exactly what we did as a church yeah. after, after we got ripped off so many times because um, I'm, I'm a softie when it comes to that stuff most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we finally just said, or another pastor said, well, we just give to the Salvation Army every month now. And so if somebody comes asking us for money, we say, well, we handle all that through the Salvation Army. And uh, every now and then they'd say, well, they're out of funds for this month. I go, well, that's how we do it. You might talk to another church. I don't know, but that's how we do it. And we don't have any more to give, you know, so, uh, but that's a great way to do it because they do know the Salvation Army especially is very good about knowing who's in it, you know, who really needs help and who, and who's just trying to work the system. So excellent point. Number two. Support one or more children through Christian agencies such as World Relief or Compassion International that work in poverty areas around the world, bringing physical, spiritual, and educational help. Um, my wife and I support some children through Compassion International. Other people support them through World Relief and uh, World Vision and other places. There's so many ways to give some money that let you tangibly impact people who need food, clothing, shelter, education spiritual guidance, all that kind of stuff. Just about, I would say, 98% of Americans can probably afford to sponsor a child every month. So it'd be tough. I mean, for some, it's tough. I've been there. but Sure. Or at least to give to, a, you know, some project that helps uh, with something. Uh, number three, offer to drive people to job interviews or even to work until they can afford transportation. Yeah, sometimes what people need isn't, Money, maybe it's mm -hmm. something else. Right. And sometimes it may be a ride to get to work yeah. or they are perfectly willing to work, but they don't have the money to buy clothes for a job interview. We've seen that lots of times yes. where somebody doesn't have the right clothes for mm -hmm. the kind of job that they want to interview for. Like that's yeah. really important. Yeah. Um, so they're a construction worker, but they don't yeah. have tools. Um, you know, maybe right. they're working on money management. Maybe they don't really good with money. And so mm -hmm. money isn't going to help them as much as maybe some help with money management. So right. just as an example, again, plugging Journey Home, yep. it's one of the big things we do is help people figure out how to manage their money mm -hmm. and budget and all of that. So somebody who's gotten themselves into a situation where they're, you know, homeless or mm -hmm. or uh, home insecure uh, can learn to get on top of that again. Right, right. Yep. My wife uh, has at times given guys free haircuts. Mm -hmm. She knows they're looking for it. They're, they're going to a job interview and some, I, I don't know how she finds out, but she'll bump into somebody and start up a conversation with somebody and, uh, and say, yeah, I'm, you know, going, you know, got a job interview next week or whatever. And she'll go, Hey, would you like a haircut and a beard trim to prepare for your job interview? And so, yeah. And so they'll come to my house and she'll cut their hair and trim their beard and make them look super snazzy. and out of the kindness of her heart. Just something like that can also help somebody's just self-image, you mm -hmm. know, but, uh, or clothes, you know, just helping people to prepare for your interviews, you know, like I mentioned before, giving them, giving, driving them to that interview. Lots of things to do. Number four, do give stuff to the Salvation Army and homeless shelters, but only if it's actually still usable. You know, don't give them your trash. You know, they don't need that. And not even the Salvation Army, um, I'm, I'm recalling a situation where I met a new neighbor who seemed to be low on winter clothes. They just met, mm -hmm. they just moved here. They didn't yeah. really have any of this. They moved here from somewhere in the South. They probably mm -hmm. moved here for a job. 
They're kind of getting started. Young family, didn't know anybody, didn't have any winter clothes. You know, my wife was in the same situation. She moved from Texas. You can't buy winter clothes in Texas. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 are, you're not going to have like, what you need when you move here. shorts are just longer there. Exactly. Than yeah. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I was looking for some, I thought, I, I'm sure I have some extra gloves somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let me see what I can find. And uh, I was actually convicted to not give this person my leftovers, mm-hmm. like not give them the old stuff that I don't use anymore. Right. And to actually, you know, grab something that maybe was worth a little bit of money that, mm-hmm. that, that I actually liked. Yeah. Um, and give that to them. Cause you know, I can get more, I can get another right. one. It's not, right. it's not like I'm unable to, you know, buy new winter stuff. Right. And this person was in need and I wasn't. Right. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was convicting for me because mm-hmm. I was that, that was my initial thought was to just to kind of give them whatever I had extra. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really felt that God was telling me not to do that. Right. And to have yep. a different attitude. So, yeah, that's awesome. whatever that's worth. It, it's worth a lot because it says that you're you're open to hearing the spirit talk to you about meeting the need of somebody in a, in a way that it's not that goes against our conventional thinking. And. We way we need to do that way more. Uh, I think of things like um, the giving trees. That I, I'm so thankful that this is kind of a trend now. You know, all these, you know, we'll have the Salvation Army trees. You know, um, with the tags on them, you can take home and buy kids winter clothes and toys and stuff. And it's got a little tag. It's this for an eight year old boy, and these are his favorite things. And he needs mittens, and he needs gloves. You know, or needs a winter coat, or needs snow boots. Awesome. You can get him those things. Get him one of his toys. He's got two toys. I don't care. Whatever. However many you want. And that kid gets that. And it's new. You know, I love that. And I just, I'm so glad to see that cropping up more and more and more, at least here in Aberdeen. And that's not all that big. We're not saying give $100 a month to the Salvation Army. We're saying at Christmas time, pick a name off that tree and go buy some kid his toy and a winter coat. Or school supplies. That's another big one. Tons. I mean, everybody's got to buy school supplies Mm -hmm. for the beginning of school. And Mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in our community, I think it's the Salvation Army who. Oh, yeah. The backpacks. Yeah. The backpacks know who they are. and They've Mm -hmm. identified. Here's here's what grade this kid is in. Here's what they need to Mm -hmm. start school. And they don't really have the money to do that. Mm -hmm. And and so that's a great way for a community and individual mm-hmm. Christians to come together yes. and, um, and take care of those needs. Mm-hmm. seems like there was a, I think one of our churches here in town a few years ago, um, had a backpack drive. Maybe mm-hmm. they do it every year. It's just, they, they got a whole bunch of those backpacks. I've seen mattress drives where they yes. find kids who are just sleeping on garbage mattresses and or the floor or the floor and yep. getting mattresses into yep. people's homes who yes. can't otherwise afford them. Yep. Which awesome. being in These furniture. You, yes. You I, I love that. that kind of thing. Yeah. We've given away mattresses because there you, go. you need to. Sometimes you just got to do that. That's the right thing to do. But there are lots of ways that people can get involved, that Christians can get involved in showing tangible love to people who are economically hurt. And not because of their own laziness, just because life at times. And so uh, any other ideas or Josh that you got? We, I'd love what you've talked about so far. Anything else that jumping out to you? Those are kind of what jumped to my mind as we were talking. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for being a model of somebody who's willing to listen to the spirit and obey him. Occasionally, maybe. Well, 
we can all be better at that. But the fact is that you're even willing to be open, even if we don't always hear it, because of our own stuff. You know, but thanks for being an example there. I appreciate it. So we've been focusing on the economic side of things, but let me turn briefly to another area that is of concern to everyone, no matter what your political or religious stance in that, and that's in our own city, that's immigration. I've mentioned in the past how I have witnessed Christians not only be unwelcoming to immigrants in our city, but downright fearful and spiteful in how they see newcomers from other countries. And so the question that I think we need to wrestle with is, do you really think that's how Jesus views them? And I'll just tell you, the answer is no. I mean, that's a rhetorical question because he doesn't see them that way. Jesus doesn't see immigrants as threats. You know, now I get the fact that there is such a thing as illegal immigration and all these things. And, but I think when I see somebody in town here, I need to assume that they're, it's okay for them to be here. <laughs> I'm not going to ask them for the green card before I help them out. You know what I mean? It's just, and we shouldn't do that. So my suggestion is that when you see a newcomer, an immigrant, particularly an immigrant, you keep in mind that they are nervous and scared about adjusting to a life nothing like the life that they left behind. I mean, they are in a world that's completely unlike anything they've, they've known. In many cases, they've left their families until they can afford to bring them over, meaning that they're separated by an ocean, making them lonely and sad, and they're missing their loved ones just as we would in the same circumstance. It's hard to relate unless you yourself have been in another country for some period of time, mm -hmm. even as a tourist right. that has a different culture and a different language, and you don't know how to get around, and you don't mm -hmm. know how to do basic things like mm -hmm. use public transportation right. or money or you know the banking system or phone system or like your electrical plugs don't work or you whatever right. it is and uh, that's kind of a wake-up call and if you oh, can absolutely. sort of put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is in that situation but in your country mm -hmm. um whether they're here legally or not mm -hmm. um that that's a really weird difficult place to be right, right. um and immigration is strange mm -hmm. too um, and our immigration laws, I think everybody left and right agrees they need to be reformed on some mm -hmm. level. Yeah. Um, yeah. My Absolutely. wife went through the immigration process. One thing a lot of people don't know is that just, just to speak to the immigration issue a little bit, mm -hmm. even legal immigrants oftentimes are not allowed to work while they're waiting for their legal oh, immigration wow. paperwork to be okay. processed. And that process can actually be very expensive. Yes, Every step that. costs $500 here, $1,000 know, there. Mm -hmm. And it can take months. And sometimes it sits on the desk of some bureaucrat for some indeterminate period of time. because right. For no good reason. For though. no good reason. Or it gets lost. Mm -hmm. Or they get told one thing and then some other agency tells them another thing. And mm -hmm. like that... That's legal immigration. Even like right. the, the the legal immigrants that we claim we want mm -hmm. are oftentimes run through the ringer mm -hmm. and they have saved up, you know, $20,000, which could be their life savings. Mm -hmm. And it could be, you know, <laughs> worth quite a bit more in whatever country they came from. Right. And it can be gone in several months mm -hmm. because they're. They can't work legally. Yeah. Uh, they have to pay all these extra sort of fees and expenses and deal with yeah. the federal government and yeah. fill out, you know, forms oh, and, yeah. you know, 
my my wife got seven background checks. She says, like, I could work for the CIA at this point. I've been vetted so many times just to, you know, come to this country and work as a as a nurse. Well, that explains that envelope I saw from Langley, Virginia. So (laughs) so the uh, an immigrant, whatever status they are and whatever you know, needs to be fixed with our immigration system and with our borders mm-hmm. is a human being that jo- that God loves yes. just as much as he loves you. Yes. He cares about them just as he, much as he cares about you. Mm-hmm. He wants what's best for them. Yes. As much as he wants what's best for you. Yes. And so I think we need to, as Christians, be able to separate those two issues, the mm-hmm. issue of the human being in front of us and the issue of immigration right. in general. Right. And I think if we would start with the assumption that they're here because they're looking for a better life mm-hmm. and assuming that we don't need to question how they got here, you know, just they're here. And even if it's an illegal immigrant, they're still a person. They're still a human. They're still made in God's image. And Jesus still died for that person. And that's why I don't think we should worry so much about what their immigration status is. We just need to worry about, do you have enough food to get through the week? Or do you kids have winter clothes? You know, uh, we have Northern State University here, and every year, those kids from China and other places like Korea, South Korea, they are unprepared for our winters. And, boy, I mean, they are flocking to Walmart. <laughs> that during that, when that weather, when the temperature starts to drop, they're buying clothes. They're buying wintered coats. And, um, I mean, and if you're not prepared for our South Dakota winters, they can be ugly and harsh. So, but, um, That's so when looking cute on Instagram goes out the window, it's like, right. nope, <laughs> I just want to survive outside that's, for that's 15 right. minutes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is true. The air does hurt our face. Yes, <laughs> I thought times. that was, thought that was just a joke. Nope. Um, so they're, they're away from people. They're learning new job skills and a new culture as well as a new language. And English is one of the worst languages to have to learn. We've got so many rules and exceptions to the rules, so many borrowed phrases from other languages. I can't imagine how hard it would be to learn English, uh, especially from a non-European language. If you come from, say, an African country mm-hmm. where you know the language has nothing to do with Latin or Greek roots. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How can, I mean, English is an incredibly difficult language. And the legal system works differently. Oh my goodness. The technology in some cases works differently. I mean, Mm -hmm. you'll have uh, people who are here who are, all they have are gas stoves and they work in a very specific way in that Mm -hmm. part of the world. And here they're electric and, you know, it's Mm -hmm. completely different. Sure. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard like things you would never expect to have to figure out. You just take for granted that obviously this is how things work. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's how things work here. Right. They can work completely differently in other right. <laughs> parts of the world. There's so many different standards and sort of ways of, of using um, technology or mm-hmm. appliances or, mm-hmm. or what have you. You know, driving laws, for instance, you know, you've got people who may have immigrated to this country from a country that does not allow women to drive. Yes. And so someone has to, you know, at 40 or 50 years old, learn to drive for the first time so they Mm -hmm. can take their kids to school. Like that's a huge challenge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So 
we need to look at people as people who might need a help from somebody who loves Jesus and can demonstrate the love of Jesus in tangible ways instead of being suspicious about their immigration status. I think that's where we need to start. I think that's a more biblical and more Jesus way to do things. So, uh, oh, you know, and many are living in substandard housing. You know, they come, mm-hmm. they're looking for just a place off the ground. You know, they're often crowding many people into spaces meant to house a third to half of that number. And there are also, unfortunately, people who will take advantage of that oh, yeah. language barrier and, 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 you know, not provide somebody with the service that they deserve mm-hmm. or, or not provide them with adequate housing or right. fix things because they don't have the ability to advocate themselves or right. they don't know that they can right. in some cases. And all they're doing is like, well, at least I'm on, not on the street. Right. It's better than where they were. They don't realize that what this guy is doing to them. Right. If their landlord is illegal. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. nobody told them that right. people can't well, treat them that way. Well, that and even if they did know that, they, like you said, they wouldn't know where to go for help. So they got it out, you know. So if you can start remembering that it's much harder for them to be here than it is for you to put up with them. God will soften your heart and give you opportunities to be Jesus to them. That's what we want. We want them to come and see, and then we want them to find Jesus and to be transformed and and served by him. And Jesus' people need to be the ones leading the way in this. We can't be holding back. We need to be showing them how it's done. Absolutely. And I've said this before too, but I think it's worth repeating that there are folks that are from countries that Christians have been praying for for a long time. Yes. And it could very well be that God's answer is to bring them next door to you Mm -hmm. so that you can show them the love of Jesus. Right. Right. And uh, you see those as opportunities to to demonstrate the love of Jesus so that someday you might be able to share the love, the gospel of Jesus with them. And um, yeah. So that's obviously a hot button for me (laughs) just because from what I've seen in some Christians is not Christ. It's, it's, it's sad. So, you know, remember the good Samaritan was considered an enemy by the Jews. You know, that was a shocking parable. And yet Jesus' point was that compassion and being a good neighbor were more important than any religious or ethnic differences when it came to giving aid to someone in need. He didn't say it wasn't important. He's just saying the good Samaritan saw a need and met it. And by the way, Jewish people at that time didn't think that there was such a thing as a good Samaritan. That's right. And... Also, the Samaritan, the hero of Jesus' story, was wrong. He was theologically incorrect yes. about who God was, how mm-hmm. God wanted to be worshipped, yep. even, you know, what the Bible was. Mm-hmm. Like, they had very different beliefs about a bunch oh, of yeah. things. He had to that cross were, a ton of barriers. That there. were wrong. Yes. And Jesus was saying that he could show compassion and show mm-hmm. goodness. Yes. And even without you know, believing the right things necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that was good. Yeah. And the good spirit and he crossed religious boundaries, as you mentioned, ethnic boundaries, mm-hmm. certainly political boundaries. And he did it at his own expense. Yep. And he, he didn't just take pity on the man. He, he showed compassion. It's a huge difference. Pity is just an emotion. Compassion is action to alleviate. It cost him something. It cost yes. him time. It cost him money. It cost him, you know. Yeah. Probably some abuse from his Samaritan buddies who said, mm-hmm. why are you, you know, helping that guy out? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. And it's a parable and we can get into it. But it's like Jesus specifically chose the Samaritan to be the hero of the story. Did that on purpose. 
because he's awesome and he knows and gets all that stuff. So folks, don't be the tin man. Have a heart. When you gave your life to Christ, he made you a new creation with a new heart designed to reflect his to everyone around you. And maybe you need to ask God, maybe you've got a hard heart and you can ask the Lord to replace that with that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Don't shove that aside. Put aside your thoughts on poverty and immigration and help out the people right around you and see what God does, not just through you, but in you as you tangibly do that. And we're going to pray in a second here, but Chris, we have to have our Chuck Norris fact first. And that is that Chuck Norris told the Bermuda Triangle to get lost. Oh, nice. Yes. I thought so. Yeah. Good. Very meta. I like that. He's bad. <laughs> so uh, we're going to close in prayer and uh, go from there. Father, thank you for demonstrating your compassion for us when we were enemies of yours and uh, destitute spiritually and sometimes even financially and physically. And yet you showed compassion on us. I know that both Josh and I can look back and see times where you have used your people to meet our needs sometimes physically, sometimes financially, spiritually and otherwise. I pray, Father, that you would help us to demonstrate the love of Christ to those people who need a touch from you, whether, again, it's physically or financially or whatever. Help us to not shy away from that. Help us to not assume the worst in people. Help us, Father, to recognize the great gifts that you have given us and help us to be generous in how we share those gifts with others. And in doing so, may people see Jesus in us and want him for themselves. Father, keep us thankful for what you have done for us, and please translate that to generosity through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Take care. Living Beyond Your Memes is a production of Truth Love Media and Discipleship DNA. Editing by EC Productions. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in touch with Brian LaCroix at discipleshipdna.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.